All right, well, hey, I want to spend um, the next couple of minutes uh, today talking about what, uh, what I really believe is the absolute uh, most effective and also just the most practical way that we can change our communities for the better and ultimately change our world for the better. Like we talk about, hey, we want better communities. We want to live in better places, safer places where people can flourish, where it's, where it's safe, where it's, it's a great place to raise a family, where people like, you know, where you get along and there's like not all this division and stuff. Like what we're going to talk about over the course of the next couple of minutes and over the course of the next couple of weeks is the absolute best way, I'm convinced, for us to be able um, to do that. And so we're starting a new series today called The Art of Neighboring, and this is kind of our summer kickoff series. You know, each year we kind of, when we move into summertime, it's like things get a little bit more laid back around here at Hope Community, and some of you, if you're new to our church, you're like, really? It can get more laid back than it already is? And yes, yes, it can, because here, here's the thing, and this is a tangent, but I think it's important to say, we take our faith very, very seriously around here at Hope Community. We take Jesus very seriously here at Hope Community. The thing we don't take that serious is ourselves, right? It's like it's okay to let loose. It's okay to have fun and, and to, to pursue Jesus. And so as we kind of launch into summertime, as we move into some fun things going on with church picnics and, and all that kind of stuff, we move into a new uh, sermon series. And, and it's kind of a series that we... We come back to over and over again this idea. It's a series that reminds us of who we are as a church, why we exist, why we do what we do. It kind of keeps the things front and center, and that is we want to be known for being for our neighbors. As you, as you pull into our parking lot, as you drive down Bonnie View, you know, you can't, you can't help but being, like, assaulted by a giant banner that's just like, FOR MINERVA! I always imagine it screaming because it's big and it's in bold and it's all caps. It's like, FOR MINERVA! Right? Because that, that is who we are. We want to be known as being for the community that we live in and for Minerva and the surrounding communities where, where some of you are located and, and, and where you live. We, we have this core conviction that we believe a local community should be better simply because a church is there. That, that if communities aren't better because of, of, of a local church and the presence of a church in that community, then that church isn't doing its job and so we come back and we talk about this idea of, of being neighbors, and we talk about it every single year, and, and I remind us of this every year. And so, man, if, this is, if you've been around Hope Community for a while, you'll be like, well, we've heard this before, and absolutely you have, and we're never going to stop talking about it. If you're new to, to church or faith or Hope Community in particular, this may be your first time hearing this, um, and we want you to know, hey, this is who we are, this is what we're about. We think this is what Jesus commands us to be about, and it's kind of one of my jobs as your pastor to like keep that front and center all the time, to keep the main thing the main thing. And when it comes to asking the question then, well, what is the main thing? Call me crazy, but as, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, I think, well, to find out what the main thing is, we should probably see what he had to say about it. And so one time he was asked, actually, hey, hey Jesus, what, what's the most important thing we could do as it comes to faith, as it comes to a person who like believes in God or is trying to follow after God? Like, what is, what's, if you could just boil it all down to one thing, what would you tell us? What is the most important thing or the way the question was asked is what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers that question this way. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. At which point we're like, that's what we expected, right? That's kind of like the church answer. What's the most important thing you could do? Love God, okay? It's like, well, yeah, of course, that's, of course you're going to say that. That's the most important thing. But he wasn't done. What he says next actually brings clarity around 
But what does it look like when a person spends their life loving God? Like, what comes out of that person? What does their life look like? Because then he goes on to say, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says that the second command, you're like, Wait a minute, I asked for the most important command. You said love God, yeah. And now you're saying love your neighbor. Yeah, it's both. They're, they're, they're inseparable. You, you, can't take, you can't be a follower of Jesus and be like, I'm going to love God and not love my neighbor. In fact, he says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophets depend on these two things. When he says the law and the prophets, he's, he's talking to a Jewish audience. And so he's talking about what we would call the Old Testament. But it was their law. It was the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew Bible. He's saying, you know that whole thing? You can sum that whole thing up by saying this. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. That our faith, our love of God, it is demonstrated and it is authenticated not by how much we know but by how well we love, to love our neighbor as ourself. It's known as the great commandment or the greatest commandment. And what I want to talk about over the course of the next couple of weeks is, is to try to avoid turning the great commandment into the great metaphor, because sometimes that's what we do with this. We, we make the great commandment out to be this thing. It's very lofty. It's very broad. It's something we talk about. We put it on bumper stickers, and it's like, love God. What does that mean? Love your neighbor. What does that mean? You know, we, we turn into the, the catchphrases, and it's like, you know, love God, love people. That's what we're here to do. It's like, okay, but what does that look like practically? We get really good sometimes at, like, highlighting this verse in our Bibles, but not practically living it out in our lives. How do we love our neighbors well? And what I want to challenge us to do in this series, and specifically today as we kind of introduce things, is take the words of Pastor Paul seriously. He, he talked last week, and his whole idea was, what if we, what if we took Jesus at his word? Like, what if we, we, like, Jesus said something, here's what I said, we go, okay, Jesus, I take you at your word, I'm going to do it. What if we just did that and said, okay, you said the most important thing is that we love our neighbors, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm actually going to do that. What would that look like? And to get really, really practical with it, what we're going to look at today is what if when Jesus said, love your neighbors, he meant your actual neighbors too? Like, you know, you know, like the first people to pop into your, for most people, like if you're not into like the Christian lingo and you're like, who's my neighbor? Everyone's my neighbor. But like for most people, when you ask, who's your neighbor? They're like, oh, you know, the person lives next door down the street. What if when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he meant them as well? Because oftentimes we jump to this straight to this idea of like, well, loving everybody and the people on the, I work with and I go to school with and the other community and on the other side of the world, loving them, like they're my neighbor. And certainly they are. And we'll touch on that a little bit. But oftentimes we, we jump to those people, meanwhile overlooking the people right next door. What if when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he meant your actual neighbors? It's interesting. I mean, the, 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 the crowd, the original audience that he would have written that to, that's basically everyone he would have been talking about to them. Because uh, th th these were people that never traveled more than a few miles from their house. I mean, everywhere they went, they would have walked. And so when he said, love your neighbor, they're like, oh yeah, Joe, who lives down the street. I don't think... Well, I mean, Joseph, I don't know if they, I wonder if back then they called like Joseph, you know, it's a very biblical name, they called him Joe. Or when did that come along? This is how my brain works, you guys. I'm in the middle of a message and sometimes I just have to say it, okay? Well, you know, he was talking about the people that live right next door to them. So what if we did that? What if we learned to love our neighbors? And that included, yes, it included everyone, but we're going to, hey, we're going to kind of do these concentric circles. And if I want to love my neighbors, I'm going to start with the people that actually live next door and I'm going to be a better neighbor, like, being a better neighbor to people is how we actually change the world. You, you get this, right? That, that, that has the power, even though it's a small thing, to actually change the way things are if we are better neighbors. 
we're not very good neighbors today. Like, it's just kind of the cultural thing. It's kind of the societal thing. And it's not that we're bad neighbors. It's like we're not jerks to people. I mean, I hope none of you are. If so, we should probably talk about that. But it's just like we're not good neighbors. We don't, we don't like, do life with our neighbors. We don't have conversations with our neighbors. We don't, like, th- this is old school. And I, 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 only, I remember doing this one time as a kid, once, and it was weird. When's the last time one of you were trying to bake something and you ran out of sugar and you went to your neighbor's house? I do that sometimes now, but it doesn't count because my, my, my parents live right down the road. And so that's not, I mean, they're my neighbors, but they don't count. Like, Mom, I need something. <laughs> I'm so, my life is sad. I'm just, I can't outgrow my childhood. I'm just kidding. It's great. But like, when was the last time we did, I remember doing that once as a kid. It used to be, that's just what you did. It's like, I know my neighbors. We borrow things. We give things. We help out when, when, we're, when that's needed. Lend me some sugar. I am your neighbor. I'm so glad some of you knew that song reference. Thank you so much. There was only one person in the volunteer service that, that got that, so I'm proud of you. But, like, we, we don't do those things. And part of it is just, like, it's the nature of the world that we live in. Right? Like, in a way, like, we, we, it's crazy that we're so connected, but yet we're so isolated. We, we have this way because of technology. Technology is awesome, but we have a way now of we can choose who we're connected to. Because I can text, I can call, I can jump on social media. Actually, even in physical proximity, I can hop in my vehicle and I can drive and see someone who's a half an hour, an hour down the road. And so we, we have this idea of where I kind of choose who I'm going to bring into my life. Whereas before, it was just like, you know who's in my life? It's these people around me. And so oftentimes, you know, we, we are friends and where we go to work and where we go to school and where we go to church, it's not even actually with our neighbors, and then, and then even when it does come to our, our actual neighbors around us, we kind of have this mentality of just, it's like, it's, again, it's not that I don't like you, but just leave me alone. <laughs> like, don't bother me, okay? Like, we have, you know, it, I mean, it used to be, there was this, this shift that happened from the front porch to the backyard. Way back in the day, you know, it was way before my time, this is before a lot of your times, like, where you hung out was on the front porch, and people would walk their dogs, and kids would be playing, and they would come by, and you'd say, hey, you know, how are you? How are things going? And you knew about their life. But somewhere over time, like, the, the outdoor hangout space moved from the front porch to our backyards with our fences, where it can just be those that we invite in, and we can keep everyone else out. And, and I, I'm, I'm included in that, okay? Like, I am, can I just, can I be honest for a little bit? I'm not a great neighbor. I'm not a bad neighbor. But sometimes I'm just like, leave me alone. I like people. I'm an extrovert, but like I kind of deal with people doing this. I deal with people all the time. I'm talking to people and thinking about how to make messages for people and do this. And sometimes when I'm, I get home, I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't want to talk to my neighbors. Like you guys, there, there are seriously times when I'll go outside and I've got like a project. I, I go work in the garden or I need to mow the yard or work on the deck that I'm working on right now. And I go out the back door and I see that my neighbors behind me or beside me are out doing something. And I go back inside because I'm like, I don't want to talk to them right now. Isn't that awful? I'm a terrible human. But it's just like, it's not that I don't like you. It's just like, okay, I can come out later. I just, I I don't know my neighbors that well. I don't know their names that well. And I'm like, I'm busy and I got my own stuff going on. And I'm guessing that I'm not the only person like that. I'm guessing maybe most of us have similar stories we could tell. And so kind of to start things off today, we're going to do something just a little bit different. When you came in, you had one of these in your seat. I want you to take this. I want you to, 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 to grab, get a hold of this. There should be one in your seat or near you. And what we're going to do is do a little exercise here. See this yellow house right in the middle? It says you are here. Let's imagine that is your house. And all of these white spaces around you 
are your neighbors. Now, for some of you, this might be right next door. If you live in like an allotment or subdivision, some of you live out in the country, okay? And so it might be a mile down the road, and you got to think, who are these people? Some of you, maybe you're in a duplex or an apartment or somewhere like that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to fill in as many of these as you can of the names of your neighbors. First names, not just like, oh, the Joneses live there, and I know that because it's on their mailbox. That's cheating, okay? First names of your neighbors, and do you know anything about them? Write that in there as well. Go ahead and take a minute to do that. I'm going to grab a pen and do it as well. give you about a a couple more seconds. I mean, I'm done with mine already, and it's not because I did it that fast. It's because I don't know any of my neighbors. You can keep working on this. And oh, by the way, if you're at home, you you don't have one of these exactly, but just... The people closest around you, do you, know your, do you know their names? Do you know anything about them? All right. So here's my neighborhood map. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of white spaces on there still. I know the names of three of my neighbors. And, I mean, I only know something about really one of them. I'm not very good at this. And I'm guessing, I'm not going to make you show me your cards, but I'm guessing there's a lot of this in the room. And so as I've been thinking about, you know, kind of this series and, and, and preparing for it and stuff, the one thing that's been really, really kind of convicting is, is how, can, how can we take that seriously, to love our neighbors as ourselves? How can I, as your pastor, like implore you, guys, we've got to do this, and Jesus tells us to love our neighbors and, and go love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do that well if we aren't even loving the people next door, if we don't even know their names? It's been a convicting thing, and so we're going we're gonna to try to get better at that in this, in this series. And I think it's got the potential to change everything. You know, we, we, we think about, like, hey, we talk about having a better community and having a better world and all the things we can do and the programs and the events and, the, and, and outreach and all this kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, the thing that makes more of a difference than anything in anybody's life is a relationship with a living, breathing human being. And, and what if, is it possible that when Jesus was, was saying this, that not only was this a, a big, broad thing, but it's also super specific, and it's a, it's a strategic plan, that if we would actually just take Jesus at his word and we would do this, that it could change everything. Can you, can you imagine if everyone who is, who claims to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian in our local communities, if every one of us took this serious and said, okay, these people that are right around me, I'm going to get to know them, and I'm going to love them, 
it would change our community overnight. It would change the world overnight. You want to talk about the single most effective way to change a community for the better, this is it. You want to talk about, hey, how do, how do you meet needs like long-term and make sure people are cared for? You know your neighbors. How do you make sure that people aren't isolated and aren't hurting, especially those that maybe don't have family nearby or those who are elderly? How do we make sure they're well cared for? Oh, uh, well, just give them a program or give them something. To, no, no, you get to know and to love your neighbors. How do, you, how, do you, how do you heal the division and all the vitriol and the hatred that is going on in our country and in our culture right now? It's by getting to know and love your neighbors because guess what? They're going to be different than you are. And to get to know their story and see them as a human being if we love our actual neighbors. So what we're going to do in the remainder of our time um, together this morning is I want to look at uh, a passage that kind of always comes up when someone talks about this idea of neighboring. Like there's like a go-to passage. It's like, how do we love our neighbors? Ooh, this is the one. And it's a passage that we've uh, talked about before multiple times. We've talked about it from different angles. But we are going to approach it from a slightly different way today. You know, normally whenever we look at the passage we're going to look at, we, we look at it and we come to the conclusion that Jesus defines neighbor in, in such a way that it includes everyone. It's everybody on the face of the planet is your neighbor. And so we need to go out of our way and we need to care for people and we need to meet needs and we need to sacrifice. And all of that is really, really true. That is what Jesus is going to do. But what if for our purposes today, and as we, the next couple of weeks we explore this series, what if we understood what Jesus is about to say to be applied to our actual neighbors? the people that live next door. Because sometimes we fall into this trap. We'll, we'll look at what Jesus is going to say, and we'll fall into this thinking of everyone is my neighbor, and oftentimes when everyone is my neighbor, no one is. Or we think, okay, I'm going to love everyone, and when we go out of our way to try to love everyone, we end up loving no one. When we aim for everything, we hit Nothing. We want to be like, I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm, a, I'm ready for advanced neighboring. I want to go neighboring 201, neighboring 301. I want, to, I want to go serve the poor. I want to go on a missions trip. I want to go love my neighbor over there. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Shouldn't we actually, you know, get started with loving those who are the closest to us? I mean, don't, don't ignore the other things, but maybe we should start right here. And so what does it look like to love our actual neighbors? Let's look at these words of Jesus and see what we can learn. This is known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is found in Luke chapter 10. We read this, that there was an expert in the law who stood up to test him, to test Jesus, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's a guy who's an expert in the law, in the Old Testament law. Again, what we would call the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew scriptures. And this guy, he knows it inside and out. He's a teacher. He's a religious leader. It's like his job to teach it to other people. And he's trying to get Jesus into a little bit of a trap because the, the Old Testament law had hundreds of laws, over 600 of them. And he's like, hey, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which of these laws do I have to do? Which ones do I have to, you know, do I got to be good with to have eternal life? In other words... What do I have to do to be good with God? Like, how do I, what do I have to do to make, make sure God and I are good? Or as we talk about around here, this idea of eternal life is life in the age to come. It's life in, in the kingdom of God, in the rule and reign of God. And, and if, if you're a follower of Jesus, we, we believe that that life starts the moment you put faith in Christ. And so we're living in the kingdom, living in eternal life right now, and that's a trajectory that continues on into eternity. So this guy is asking, like, how do I get to that how, how do I gain eternal life? How am I good with God? And Jesus does the complete and total Jesus-y thing, and he answers his question with a question. He says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? See, so you're an expert. 
You're supposed to know this. You're supposed to be Israel's teacher. So what do you think? He's like, it's, it's there if you, if you can see it. And so the religious leader answers Jesus. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It would appear as though this uh, religious leader, this teacher, had spent some time listening to Jesus already. He, he does something here, this great commandment. Um, it, there's actually two different parts of it that are found in the Old Testament law. The first part, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's known as, as the Shema. That's found in the book of Deuteronomy that Jewish people would pray every single day this prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so there's that part. But then the love your neighbor as yourself is in a completely different passage. It's over in the book of Leviticus, and it's kind of tucked in there with a bunch of other stuff. And Jesus brings these two things together, and this guy gives like the exact same answer. So he's like, I knew you were going to ask that, and I heard you talk about this before Jesus, so do I, please, can I get a gold star? I got the right answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is kind of like, hey, okay, if that's how you want to do this. We can do that. He says, you've answered correctly. Good job. Good for you. You have the right answer. Now do this and you'll live. Do this and, and you'll have that eternal life that, that, you know, that, that you came to ask about. How, do I, how am I good with God? How do I have life in the age to come? How do I have eternal life? Well, love God and love people. Do that and you'll win or, or you'll have that. And I, I almost like, I don't know if this actually happened or not, but I can kind of picture just a little smile on Jesus' face. Like, you're right. Do that and you'll live because... The reality is it's impossible to do. Like, do, just if you can just perfectly, for your entire life, love God, like, 100% of the time, and love other people 100% of the time, then you're good. I'm like, I can't even do that for a day, let alone for my entire life. And so there's this idea of, like, well, here's what it looks like. you got to love God and love people perfectly. And Jesus is like, yeah, do that with the knowledge of knowing you can't actually do that. And that, that's the beauty of the Christian faith, and that's the beauty in the core of the message of the gospel. That if you want to be good with God, if you want to have eternal life, if you want to be part of his kingdom, you've got to perfectly love God, perfectly love neighbor. None of us can do it. There's only ever been one person who's able to, to perfectly love God and love neighbor as self 100% of the time his entire life, and that was the person of Jesus. He's the only one who's ever done it. And he shows up and says, you know what, you can't do that, but I can. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your failing to love God and love neighbor. I'm going to take that failing, that thing called sin, and I'm going to put that on myself. And I'm going to take my perfection of perfectly loving God and perfectly loving others, and I'm going to give that to you. It's this great exchange that happens. It's this beauty of the gospel. That's kind of undergirding this, this whole passage of Jesus being like, yeah, you, you can't actually do that, but that's what I'm here to do. So do this and you'll live. Now, if this religious teacher was, was smart, he kind of would have just left well enough alone and been like, okay, thanks. But he asks a question, and it's kind of like the hinge point in the tension of this entire passage that kind of Jesus frames this lesson around this question that this man asks. He's wanting to justify himself. He, he basically wants to come to Jesus with a, I want you to tell me I'm already good and I don't have to change anything. He wants to justify himself, and so he asks, okay, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus, who do I really have to love? Love God, love neighbor, got it. Now, can you give me a list? 
Can you give me, like, if I can check these things off, is it, like, the people in my church? Is it just my family? Is it that one guy at work I can't stand, and that's, like, that's like my punishment, or that's, like, my, if I can just love him, I'm good? Like, exactly who do I have to love? He comes to Jesus looking for a list, because if you have a list, if you have this hard, fast, here's exactly, you know what that always leads to? That always leads to loopholes. I can always find a way around why that person doesn't count and I don't actually have to love them. It, it, it leads us to looking for excuses. He's looking for exactly what to do, but Jesus isn't going to offer him a what to do. He's going to offer him a new way of life, a new way of being human, a new way of existing in the world. You see, that, that, that's the, the beautiful thing and the challenging thing about the Christian faith. It's not a list of things to do. It's not a list of things to believe that Jesus comes along and says, if you want to come follow me and this idea of loving your neighbor, it's not about something you do. It's not about something you check off your list. This is just now who you are. You operate in the world in a different way than anybody else. You operate in the world in a way that is defined by love of God and love of neighbor. So no, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Instead, as he's about to do, I'm going to give you an example of how to be. So this guy wants to justify himself. He wants a list. He wants to let me do this so I can kind of find a way to get out of doing it. And in a kind of a strange, backwards way, we do a similar thing. We kind of also ask who my neighbor is, but instead of wanting like a narrowly defined set of people, it's easy for us to go the opposite direction and make neighbors so big, so huge, that there's so, like, so many people qualify as my neighbor that I can almost be so overwhelmed that I don't love any of them. Where, where everyone is my neighbor, again, at school and at work and at home and across the world and those who are less fortunate. And while all of that is true, they, they will all be your neighbor in a way that is defined by Jesus. Like I said earlier, oftentimes when everyone is my neighbor, nobody is. Often when we take this picture of everyone is my neighbor, that then the excuses kind of start to set in where it's easy to be like, well, man, there's so many people that need to be loved. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. I'm not equipped to be able to do that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the resources. I don't have the skills. I don't have the knowledge. I'm not called to do that. I look at, I look at oh my gosh, all these people in the story that Jesus tells, how am I going to do that? And so that's why the, the challenge with the series for us is let's bring that back down before graduating to master's level neighboring. Let's come back down to the basics. Before thinking, let's go to the other side of the world and love a neighbor, let me go to the other side of my street and love my neighbor there. What does it look like to love our actual neighbors? And so the guy asked the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus isn't going to tell him who your neighbor is, but he's going to tell him how to be a neighbor. What's it look like to follow me in a neighbor love? And Jesus tells this famous story. And so Jesus took up the question and he said, there was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. And this was a, a story that his audience would have been nodding their head along with because this would happen. It was a dangerous journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was lots of twists and turns and there would be bandits along the sides of the roads that would rob people, that would beat them up. And so as, as Jesus tells this story, it's something that's made up, but it's also something that his audience is like, oh, I can relate to that. That could actually happen. And so they're picturing this. He's this man, he, he gets beat up. You know, they stripped him, they beat him up, they fled, they left him half dead. So there's this man naked, bleeding, hurting on the side of the road. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw him, the, the hurting man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So there's two people so far. The priest, who was like responsible for the, the operation of, of the temple and the sacrificial system, 
and then a Levite who was like kind of the Levites were like the assistants to the priest. So they were all a part of making the ancient Judaism work and the sacrificial system and making sure the temple was operating. And so you have this picture of these two guys who are like, these should be the ones who are going to stop and help this hurting man. Now, the, there's one aspect where there, there's the picture of like, well, they're not and they should because I think that's something we learned from it. There's also the aspect that as people that work with the sacrifices, the priests and the Levites had to be ceremonially clean. And for them to be ceremonially clean, they couldn't come into contact with like bodily fluids. So if this guy was bleeding, um, if this guy actually was dead, if they touched a dead body, they'd be unclean and they couldn't perform like the, the duties of the temple that they needed to perform. And so you have the, the aspect of like, it seems like they're ignoring the guy and they should be helping them. And also the aspect of like, mm, my religious ceremonies are more important than helping an actual human. And, and so Jesus gives you this picture of these two guys. It's like, hey, they should be helping, but they're not. And then the unlikely hero of the story is introduced. A Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when, when Jesus said Samaritan, there would have been an audible gasp in the crowd that day. You were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Paul talked about this encounter Jesus has with a Samaritan woman at a well, and he kind of explained the backstory. but uh, just the short version is the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other, and it was a hatred that went back hundreds of years. They couldn't stand each other. And so as Jesus says, but a Samaritan, the whole audience has got to be going, no, 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 please tell me you're not, I, we know what you're doing here. You're not going to make a Samaritan the hero of this story, are you? And he was about to. Samaritan uh, came up to him, and he, when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured on olive oil and wine, and he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra expense you have. And then Jesus pulls out of the story. It's a really short story, but now he pulls out and he asks this piercing question. He says, which of the three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor? It's not something we just do. It's something that we are. Which proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the, this, this teacher of the law answers, the one who showed him mercy like he couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. So he's like, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus told him, you go and do the same. It was shocking in itself. Go be like a Samaritan. I'm like, what? But it's shocking in the, just the level and the degree of love that is shown. Because this is the example that you follow. You go and do the same. You go and do likewise. This is what a neighbor looks like. A neighbor is someone who you, you go out of your way, you're invested, you see them, and you, there's this self-sacrificial love that as followers of Jesus, like what love of neighbor looks like doesn't get to be defined by what I think love looks like because Jesus has already come along and said, this is what love is. It looks like me hanging on a cross. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like what, what's best for you ahead of what's best for me. He says, that's what it looks like for you to go and love your neighbor. Go and do Likewise. And again, just for, for our purposes today and for this series, certainly we learn a lot and we can be like, hey, we, we love neighbors, everyone, because it's not just a person, it's who we are. So everyone we're in contact with, everyone is our neighbor. And, and, and we should think about those who are around the world. We should think about all these different needs and absolutely, but for our, our purpose just to drill down in this series and say, let's not forget the people who are within a stone's throw of our house. Because sometimes, and, and I've been in this boat, 
as a Christian or a follower of Jesus, it can be really easy to feel good about how I'm loving my neighbor because, you know, I support a compassion child or I send some money to some missions or I went on a mission trip once or I did some of those things. And those are all awesome things. Those are all incredible things. But in my own life, I've been in the place where it's like, it's actually a lot easier to do that. It's a lot more comfortable to do that. And it can, I can justify myself and do those things and not actually love the people that are closest to me because that's a lot harder. And that's a lot more uncomfortable. And that's a lot more inconvenient. So what if we thought about this and this example that Jesus gives and the story that he tells and say, for now, let's, let's not think about all the people out there, but the people right next door. What can we learn about the art of neighboring from this story that Jesus tells? If, it, if we want to love our actual neighbors well, what is it going to take? I think there's three things from this story that we can learn. That to neighbor really, really well, it starts with compassion. It starts with actually seeing someone's humanity and going, you know what, I, I see you, you have dignity, you have worth, you have value, like, and, and, and I am moved to compassion because of who you are, because of what maybe you're experiencing or what you're going through, that I see you as someone who is made in the image of God, who is worthy of dignity and value and worth, and I will act accordingly when I see that you have a need. When I see that there is hurt, when I see that there is pain, I will have compassion. The man has compassion. It's compassion that drives him to check on him on the side of the road. We've got to have compassion for our neighbors. The next thing we need to have is flexibility. All right, when, when it comes to loving our neighbors well, like we actually need to be flexible. We need to be okay with being flexible with our time and our resources. It's going to eat into your time. It's going to be inconvenient. There's going to be times where, like, you got to approach someone or they're going to come to you and you're like, I don't have time for this. I'm really, I'm in a hurry. You know, we're already late. And it's going to, it's going to cause us to stop and go, but this is more important. I need to be flexible. I got to have some flexibility. We, 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 we got to stop seeing uh, our neighbors and other people when they come up to us. We can't see them as an interruption, it's an invitation from God to say, hey, I want you to show them love. They're not an interruption in your life. They're an invitation in your life for me to work through you. And this is probably the one that for me is just the hardest, right? Because it's like, ah, I don't want to go outside because my neighbors are outside right now and I'm really busy and I've got stuff going on. But there's flexibility. And the final thing that, that we see that kind of bleeds over from flexibility is sacrifice. A sacrifice. It cost the guy something. He put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, he paid for the stay, he came back and said, hey, whatever, what, basically whatever it costs, I'll come back and I'll pay it. It's always going to cost us something. It's going to cost us some time. It's going to cost us some resources. Again, with my example, I'm like, you know what it's going to cost me? It's going to cost me, hey, I've got, I got these things on my list that I really want to get done today. And that 15-minute conversation with my neighbor is going to make it so I don't get done today the things that I want to get done today. But that's what Jesus is inviting us to. Compassion, flexibility, and sacrifice. When the Samaritan in the story took those steps, it brought healing and it brought new life to the man who was left on the side of the road. And when we take the same steps, it can bring healing and it can bring new life to our neighbors as well. And so that's going to be the challenge in this series, but not just in the series over the next three weeks, but moving forward as a church. 
that we would be the kind of people who are like, hey, we love our neighbors, and we're going to do that more than just with our words, but we're going to do it with our lives. We're going to love people well. And so to help us do that, I want to I give you guys a reminder today, but there's a caveat. You're going to get something on the way out the door, but you're only going to get one if you're willing to do this. That little, that little uh, card that you had on your seat, we have the magnet version of this as well. And I want to challenge you to take this magnet home and to put it on your fridge and to make it your goal that by the end of this summer, there are no blank spaces on this card. Where you walk by the fridge and you can say, I know the names of everyone who lives around me. Where you begin to then put something about them. You know, you know oh, I know he works here. I know they want to go on this vacation. I know they have three kids and two of them are out of the house. Like put something on there that you know and have this on your fridge where every time you walk by your fridge, which if you're like me, it's a lot. Um, but every time, you know, sometimes you just walk by. I don't need it in the fridge, but I open it anyway and I stand there. I go, what am I doing? And I close it. But where every time you, you see it, you go, you know what? These are my neighbors, and I know their name, and I'm going to pray for them. It'll be a reminder to us that, yeah, we're going to love everyone, but I want to start with the people that are closest to me. If you're up for that challenge, I want you to grab one of these on the way out the door today. And I want you to stop and just imagine for a moment the impact that we can have on our communities if we would do this. Like, like just imagine the, the, the kind of the blanketing effect that would take place in Minerva and the surrounding areas if we would say, you know what, we are actually going to love the people around us, that we believe in the hope of Jesus, that we believe that he changes lives, that we believe that he sets people free, that he's still moving and working and giving hope and bringing physical and spiritual healing to people, and we believe that, but instead of saying, hey, you got to come to a building to get that, there was actually people in every neighborhood that says, here, I, I'm, I'm here, and, and Jesus is here with us, and he is present, and he can change your life. As I was just kind of running through some families and some places in my head as I was going through this, I was just realizing, like, all the potential influence and impact that we have as a church. We have families in McDaniel allotment and Scenic View allotment here in the grade school area, down Line Street, behind the downtown area, going north out of town and going into New Franklin and the Paris area. We've got families there. We've got families out in the Robertsville area. We have families who come here from Carrollton, families who come from Magnolia, families that come from Malvern. We have a family that comes from Alliance. Can you imagine that if every one of us that is connected to Hope Community said, all right, this is my responsibility. These eight homes, these eight people, these eight families, whatever it is, this is my responsibility and I am going to love them well. And people all over our community would encounter the presence and the hope of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the freedom of Jesus, the healing of Jesus. Like, there would be a beacon of hope and light in every single community. That in times good, but especially when something goes wrong, that everyone in every community would go, I know someone that I can go to. I know someone that I can talk to. I know there's someone who will help me meet this need because they're my neighbor and they've proved it. People would discover new life in Jesus not because they came to our building and they heard me talk about it. They would discover new life in Jesus because they live next door to you and they've experienced it firsthand. That is the way that the kingdom of God advances. That's the way that lives are changed. That's the way we fulfill the thing that God has called Hope Community to and called every follower of Jesus to. It's not through programs. It's not through events. It's not through doing this, Sunday services. I mean, we're going to continue to do all of those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But ultimately, lives change and the kingdom advances 
when we love God and when we love our neighbors. And it's easy to think, I mean, that's, that's so simple. Can that really work? Well, it's been working for 2,000 years. It changed the world once, and it can do it again. And while it's a simple concept, it's hard to do. But I think that we're the kind of church, we're the kind of people that can own this and say, you know what? Because of what God has done for me, the way that he's loved me, I'm going to love my neighbors in that same way.